Hi there, this is Kevin Patton with a brief audio introduction to episode number 45 of the AMP Professor podcast, also known as TAP Radio, an audio extravaganza for teachers of human anatomy and physiology. In the upcoming full episode number 45, I'm going to revisit the topic of how we ask our students to address us as doctor, as professor, by first name. And you may recall that we did a Twitter poll, so we're going to discuss the results of that. I'm also going to mention some things related to the workshop I did at the recent HAPS 2019 annual conference regarding concept lists. And I'm going to reveal the secret identity of the A&P professor. I bet you can't wait for that. And the featured topic is the fishbowl model of homeostasis. The free distribution of this podcast is sponsored by the Master of Science in Human Anatomy and Physiology instruction, the Happy Degree. Looking to power up your game in teaching A&P? Or maybe you have colleagues that could benefit from more training. Well, check out this online graduate program at nycc.edu slash happy. That's H-A-P-I. Or click the link in the show notes or episode page. It's once again my favorite time. It's time for word dissections. And as usual, I have several words to dissect. And as usual, these are terms that we will have already seen in teaching human anatomy and physiology. But we're going to dive a little bit deeper and and look at them from a different perspective, which will not only help us understand them in a different way, maybe a little more deeply, it's a way to practice helping our students understand terms by looking at the literal meanings of the word parts that make them up. So the first term is homeostasis. And I'll bet you everybody listening who has ever taught anything about homeostasis stops and splits that word up because it's a pretty daunting word. It's usually introduced at the very beginning of the course where we're starting to show students that these long and intimidating terms can be broken down, chunked into little pieces, and that helps us understand them a little more easily, makes them a little more accessible. So one of our first opportunities to do that is with the word homeostasis, and I usually break it down this way. I say that homeo is a word part that means the same or equal. And then stasis means standing, or it's the state of standing that IS ending sort of implies it's a state or condition. So stasis is the state of standing. So you put them together and it's the state of standing the same or equal, or I often say it really means standing still. But when I'm explaining this, and I often am standing if it's a face-to-face class, when I tell this part of the story, I'll say, you know, look at me, I'm standing still. And they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, right? And I'll say, well, I'm not really. I'm not really still in an absolute sense of the word because my body is constantly falling due to the effects of gravity. And so I'm not always exactly balanced. Uh, My center of gravity isn't exactly balanced over the center point of my body. And so I'm constantly falling to the left, to the right, forward, backward. But my brain detects that subconsciously and pulls me back. It causes my muscles to move in a way that pulls me back. And I don't fall very far, so it looks like I'm still, 
but I'm really just kind of in more or less the same spot. And if you were taking a very long uh, exposure photograph like they did in the very early days of photography, I would do better if I was resting up against something so I wouldn't be having to constantly stabilize myself. And I tell them this is a good way to think about homeostasis in our body, that it's not an absolute standing still, it's a relative standing still, and that we're constantly monitoring conditions and pulling ourselves back. And then I get into the details of homeostasis, and for fear of doing that right now, I'll move on to the next term, but I think you know where I'm going with it. So the next term also relates to the stories I tell about homeostasis, and that is the ordinary English word thermostat. And if we break that down, we see that the word part therm means heat, literally. But of course, we measure heat in units of temperature. And so we could extend the meaning of therm to mean temperature. Literally means heat, but it can be used more widely to mean temperature in general. But what's temperature if not a measure of heat? So they're kind of flip sides of the same coin. Now the second part of that word is stat, and that gets back to the root of that ending we were just looking at, stasis. Stasis is a condition of stat, that is of standing. So stat means stand. And when we use it as a word part like this, it's usually used to represent something that stabilizes or makes constant whatever is in the first part of the word. So in the first part of thermostat, we have heat. So a thermostat is something that stabilizes or makes constant the heat or the temperature. And of course, that's what a thermostat does, right? The next term I want to get into is actually, I'm going to be kind of going in two directions at once. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Kevin, you're always going in two directions at once, if not three. (laughs) And yeah, okay, but I'm doing that intentionally this time, okay? And look, I just did it. I went off on a tangent that I need not have gone off on. So coming back, what are the two different directions I'm going in right now? Well, it's The term is sodium, but I also want to think about that symbol Na. And where in the world do we get Na? How does that come out of sodium? Well, I'll explain that. First of all, looking at sodium just by itself, it's derived from the word part soda. That's where the sod part, S-O-D part, comes from. And soda is a word that represents any of several sodium-containing substances, such as sodium hydroxide or sodium monoxide or sodium carbonate or soda water. There's all kinds of things that we use soda to represent, but they all contain sodium in some form. And the story is that it went through several different languages before it got to us, but originally it probably came from the Arabic word sawada. And that is a kind of plant that when you burn it, yields soda compounds. So that's the soda part. And then the IUM ending, we've run into that before. It's a noun ending. It, it, it denotes that it's a thing, or in this case, a substance or stuff. So sodium literally means soda stuff. It's the stuff in soda, or what we would otherwise call soda. And sodium was first isolated by the Cornish chemist Humphrey Davy way, 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 way back in 1807. And besides being a chemist, he was also an inventor. And he liked to play with electrolysis and isolated a number of elements that way. When he 
did some hydrolysis on sodium hydroxide, a solution of sodium hydroxide, he was able to isolate sodium and identify it. And he also did that with potassium, and we're going to come back around to potassium in a couple of minutes. And he's the one that decided to coin the term sodium for that substance. Well, then uh, a year or so later, it was actually two years later in 1809, the German physicist and chemist Ludwig Wilhelm Gilbert decided that it should be named something else. (laughs) Not what Humphrey Davy said, but he decided to call it natrium. And he coined that term based on the word part nater, N-A-T-R, and that's from the first part of the word natron. And natron is a natural mineral salt. It's made up mostly of sodium carbonate, hydrated sodium carbonate. So he decided to use that term and then add that same IUM ending and call it natrium instead of sodium. And, you know, there were some uh, German chemists who came up with some of the original tables of elements and they decided to use Gilbert's term and they used NA for the symbol in these tables. So that's how we kind of, we're kind of mushing two different systems of terminology together when we call it sodium and yet symbolize it with capital N, small a, for natrium. So it's not a bad thing to know that natrium is an alternate name, uh, although it's not the oldest name, for the element sodium. So that leads to, naturally, I think, in my mind at least, it leads to a discussion of potassium, whose symbol is K. And how do we get K out of potassium? Well, it's the very same story involving the very same people. So, as I just mentioned, potassium was named by its discoverer, Humphrey Davy, who used electrolysis to produce the first samples of potassium. And he chose that name based on potash. So that potash part comes from potash. And potash actually comes from the ordinary words pot and ash. Pot ashes were wood ashes that were left over from a wood fire. And uh, wood ash contains any or all of several different potassium compounds. So that is a source of potassium, is potash. And uh, so it's potash stuff. The IUM ending makes it stuff or substance. So it's substance made from potash. So that's where we get potassium. So where does the K come from? Well, our old friend Gilbert he decided that now a better name for that instead of potassium is kalium, K-A-L-I-U-M. So the first word part there is kali, and then of course the second part means stuff, or it's a noun, I-U-M, ending. So where did he get kali? Well, it goes back to the Latinized version of another Arabic word, kali, Q-A-L-I, and um, that's comes from the same root that we get our word alkali. That Kali ending of alkali is the same Kali that's in Kalium, and that's the same K that was used as a symbol for, an early symbol for, the German version of potassium, the German version or German name, I should say, for potassium. So the K stuck for the symbol, potassium stuck for the name, It's a combination of two different systems of naming, but that's okay. We've learned to live with it. 
This podcast is sponsored by HAPS, the Human Anatomy and Physiology Society, promoting excellence in the teaching of human anatomy and physiology for over 30 years. Go visit HAPS at theapprofessor.org slash HAPS. That's H-A-P-S. If you're worth your salt as a teacher, you're often working hard, maybe even struggling a little bit, to come up with informed answers to student questions, such as, is salt good or bad for you? In the typical AMP course, students get the message that sodium and chloride are essential to life. In fact, throughout the course, they learn about many of the central roles these ions play in the functions of the human body. And, well, it's no wonder that salt has played such a central role in human history. Which reminds me of a great book that I listened to. It was an audio version a number of years ago. It's called Salt, A World History. It's written by Mark Kurlansky. And I think it ought to be on your list of must-read books for A&P professors. As a matter of fact, it's officially on the A&P professor book club list as of right now. The book was recommended to me by my friend Michael Banks, who's a humanities professor turned administrator. As a matter of fact, right now he's a president of a community college. So it's got to be a great science book, right? If it's interesting to a humanities guy, right? Well, he got this one right. I tell you, it it doesn't sound like it, I know from the title. But it really is a gripping story of both the science of sodium chloride and its incredibly vital role to the development of human civilization. Now, I know, it sounds nerdy to get excited over a book about sodium chloride, but if you read it, you'll see why I liked it. And, of course, you know that we only do nerdy stuff in this podcast anyway. Yeah, it's not that surprising to hear about this, right? In the book, besides learning about salt, you also come away with an appreciation of the interconnectedness of things. And that's always good to take a step back, not only from the A&P that we're focusing on, but science in general, and see how that science is interconnected to society and history and just all kinds of things that are part of ordinary daily life. And if nothing else, it's going to give you a lot of anecdotes and factoids that you can use in your A&P class as you do your storytelling of the human body. Now, one of the questions that I often get in class is, if salt or sodium is so essential to life, why is it bad for you? And, well, you know, what a great teaching moment that is, right? I can help bring the student asking that to a higher level of thinking by dissecting that false choice of good and bad. And in this case, revealing (laughs) that Well, there's kind of this gray, this spectrum of, like with many substances, I mean, it's the Goldilocks thing, right? Too little is not good, too much is not good, but, you know, somewhere in the middle is that sweet spot where it's just right. Why don't you check out Salt, A World History by Mark Kurlansky in the AMP Professor Book Club. Just go to the approfessor.org slash book club. A searchable transcript and a captioned audiogram of this preview episode are funded by AAA, 
the American Association of Anatomists at anatomy.org. This is Kevin Patton signing off for now and reminding you to keep your questions and comments coming. Why not call the podcast hotline right now at 1-833-LION-DEN. That's 1-833-546-6336. Or visit us at theapprofessor.org. I'll see you down the road.